Well, again, it's so uh, good to be with you. Uh, and uh, my wife, Jess, and I, we're uh, just grateful uh, to be here. We thank you for your uh, prayers as we have been moving and uh, getting settled in. Um, and uh, we, uh, again, uh, are, are very humbled and uh, uh, are so excited to finally be here. I've been uh, thinking about this day for a while, and uh, it uh, feels good to, to finally be here and uh, to, to be opening God's Word to you this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm so privileged to do so. I'm so thankful uh, to be doing that. So we're going to uh, uh, open and uh, read uh, from... Uh, Hosea chapter 3. And so if you would, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me or on your phone, uh, whatever you have. And we'll be looking at uh, Hosea uh, chapter 3, these uh, five verses. And in reading this uh, section, uh, we're going to start a new uh, series uh, in the Minor Prophets, uh, which are the last uh, 12 books of our Old Testament. And we're going to spend uh, the next nine weeks, will take us through the Advent uh, season looking at the Minor Prophets. Uh, and uh, we're going to start, of course, with the, the first one here, with Hosea. So let me uh, read uh, for us Hosea chapter 3, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. And the Lord said to me, Go again, uh, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress, Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver, and a homer, and a lathek of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Not only was your word spoken through your servants to the prophets, but you inspired them to record their words and to write them down so that we might benefit from them as well. And so as we uh, now engage with your word, may your spirit uh, illuminate it to us and work in us to receive your word humbly, uh, to receive it with faithfulness, to store it up in our hearts and to practice it in our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, like I said, we're, we're starting a new sermon series this morning. Uh, that'll, uh, we're going to look through these, uh, these 12 books of the Bible, sometimes called the Minor Prophets, sometimes referred to simply as, as the Twelve. And we're calling the series uh, Portraits of the King. And we're calling it that because, uh, as we'll see, each of these 12 prophets, they're all telling one unified story. They're all, they're all painting their own portrait of this one promised king, this future Messiah who's, who's coming. This Messiah King who is to come. And uh, so all these prophets then, are, are, they're preaching the gospel message. Now, this is the gospel according to the minor prophets. And so it'll be a wonderful uh, message for us and serious for us as we enter into and getting up on the holiday season and the Advent season as we consider the coming of Christ and the incarnation. Uh, this is their message. This message is, is about uh, our Savior, about the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. 
And so in, in doing this uh, sermon series, we have, uh, there, there's two goals that, that we have uh, for this series. The first, the first goal is that I want us to see and I want us to all understand just how these 12 prophets are all, uh, all uh, teaching one unified uh, story. These are 12 different men, 12 different prophets spanning hundreds of years in the, the history of the nation of Israel and of Judah. And, uh, uh, but even though they're, they span many different hundreds of years, they're still all telling one story. And so, like I mentioned, they're sometimes referred to as the Twelve. And in fact, these Twelve books were commonly uh, distributed on one scroll. Uh, and uh, they were commonly read together. And so, these minor prophets, they're, they're telling one story. And so, this series is going to be very high up. Uh, 30,000 foot kind of view of, of these 12 books. We won't be able to dive deep into any one of them, uh, but we're going to see some of the highlights, some of the passages, and, and the one I just read this morning is, is, is one of those passages. And, and I hope as we read through them that we'll see the connections that are being made, how each, each one is building on top of the other, and so on and so forth, how they're all pointing towards this, this Messiah. And I guess it's somewhat of a sub-goal of that that I hope that you'll uh, see how uh, fun and exciting these prophets are. And maybe you'll, you'll ask and you'll want to, uh, to have a Sunday School series on some of these prophets. And I would love to do that because these are some of my favorite books. They're, they're so exciting. They're so full of, of intrigue and adventure and, and wonder and beauty of, of describing who, uh, who God is. So, in other words, then, this, this first goal is to demonstrate how these 12 books should be read together as one, one book, really. And this one book, that, that as we read it together, one story, shows us the second goal because it's showing us the story of who Christ is. It's one story all about Jesus. So that's the second goal of this sermon series, that we would better understand who this king is that's promised, who, who this king is that each of these prophets are, are painting for us. This, uh, this, uh, uh, this king who is to come. Some of the, the most famous and well-known prophecies regarding Christ and his coming that uh, our New Testament authors quote, that we, we quote a lot uh, during the Christmas and Advent season, they come from these minor prophets. The New Testament authors love quoting, uh, quoting them. And so as we go over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll visit some of these passages and consider them and how they all tie together. So those are the two main goals of this series. We're going to learn uh, how the minor prophets are telling one unified story that points to Jesus. And then we're going to learn more about this Jesus, about who He is, about this King who is to come. He is the King. He is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer. He's the righteous branch of David. He's, he's all of these things. And so there's no better place to start then uh, than with Hosea. He's the prophet who opens up uh, the minor prophets to us. So every every good story needs a good introduction. Hosea is that introduction to the minor prophets for us, and he does this by introducing the main theme of the minor prophets. And we actually got a hint of that in the confession of sin when we read from Hosea chapter fourteen. It talks about uh, some of those key words. We, you heard the word uh, return in there. That's going to show up in our passage, and it did as we as I read it earlier. Uh, we're going to, uh, part of this is, is going to be returning and, and seeking the Lord. And so uh, Hosea is introducing this, this main uh, theme uh, of the entire Minor Prophets. And all these prophets are going to build upon this theme in really fascinating and unique ways. Uh, over the past month, 
of October. It was kind of a whirlwind month for us, a lot of traveling all over. Uh, part of that traveling included me uh, flying to Oklahoma City uh, for a presbytery meeting, and uh, everything went well there, which is awesome. It was fun. I hadn't been to Oklahoma before, but now I suppose I'll be going at least two to three times every year, so that's exciting. But on the plane, uh, coming back from Oklahoma, back to Richmond, uh, earlier this month, uh, I watched a documentary called The Sound of 007. And maybe that uh, title gives it away. It was about the music and the soundtrack of the Bond movies, which are just some, some great movies. I, I enjoy them. But the, the documentary is all about the, the sound of 007, the making of the music that's so iconic. And even if you haven't seen any of the Bond movies, you probably can recognize the theme music, the, the Bond theme. It's iconic. It's so recognizable. And the documentary is talking about how that theme was created for that first movie, the Sean Connery, Dr. No, uh, classic, 1962, that theme was created for that movie. And every movie since then, and every composer has built upon that theme in different ways. And sometimes throughout the movie, you'll, you'll see the, the theme kind of played slower at times to build the suspense, or maybe it'll play a little uh, like an intrigue when he's doing spy stuff in the movies, or maybe it'll be fast and rambunctious, or maybe it'll be played in a minor key when he loses one of his love interests, or whatever it might be. But you can see how it's, it's always building on top of it, uh, one another, but it's the same theme throughout. And that's very similar to what Jose is doing with this passage that we just read. As we go through the Minor Prophets, we'll see this theme come back and back again, be built upon, be expanded upon, uh, seeing elements that are somewhat maybe mysterious right now uh, become more and more clear as we go along. And that's what Hosea is doing for us. The, these five verses, they, they introduce the, the major uh, theme of the Minor Prophets, and so we can summarize this great theme like this. This is a king who redeems and restores. That's the main theme of the Twelve, that there is a king coming, a future king, and he's going to redeem his people from their sins, and he's going to restore them back to the way things used to be and the way things ought to be. This future king will redeem and he will restore. And so for the rest of our time this morning, uh, we're going to look at these two aspects of this king that are found in Hosea how he redeems, how he restores. And in the weeks to follow, we'll, we'll see how this, this theme will be picked up again, how different aspects of this theme will be expanded upon by each of the following prophets. But for today, we'll stick with Hosea chapter 3. So look back with me there in your own Bibles, and we'll see the first part, this, this king who redeems uh, his people in these, the first uh, three verses of chapter 3. So let's look back there now. Uh, the, the characters in, in our passage this morning, they've already been introduced in chapters 1 and 2, uh, but we, we've skipped those. We're jumping ahead to chapter 3, so let's make sure we're all on the same page. This passage opens with the scene of, of Hosea, the prophet of God, and his wife Gomer, his unfaithful wife. We don't know much of anything about the person of Gomer uh, other than what was told of her and described of her in chapter 1. She's not mentioned by name in chapter 2, and then she's not even mentioned by name here in chapter 3, though it is her, and uh, she won't show up through the rest of the book either. But in our passage, Hosea is called to now to go again and to love Gomer, his, his unfaithful wife, and he's called to take her home. And this is a model 
of, uh, of the kind of tangible love that God has for his people. This is, an, this is an expression of God's love that he has for his people. And so we see this amazing comparison. It, it jumps out to us. We're told that Hosea is to love Gomer, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as, that's a comparison, just as God loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So the, the comparison here is, is, is self-evident. Hosea is to be like God. He's to, uh, to, to love someone who has no reciprocal uh, desire for them. Gomer is loved by another, just as Israel has turned to other gods instead of their God. And we're told that Gomer is an adulteress. And that is that's such a part of her life. It's such a descriptive thing. It's a defining characteristic. And it's described and compared to the, uh, to the way that uh, the Israelites have come to love uh, raisin cakes. All right, so let's stop there. Cakes of raisins, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, obviously the application of that is that oatmeal raisin cookies are disgusting, and we, we shouldn't eat those. All right, so it's not quite that. But this is an example, even though that's true, by the way. But this is an example of the kind of cultural divide that separates us from, from ancient Israel. And so this reference, it would have been immediately understood by, this, by their culture, not so much for us. But, uh, but the, the raisin cakes, these were a delicacy. If you can believe that raisins could be a delicacy, they, they were a delicacy made of, of sweet pressed and, and dried grapes into a, into a cake. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but it was a delicacy. And at this time in history, these were also uh, used in, in cultic practices and, and in ritual sacrifices in the pagan uh, uh, with, with pagan gods. So uh, not only is this an example of, of the nation of Israel's overindulgence, it was also an example of their, uh, of their abandonment and their idolatry from the God that they professed uh, to love. So that is who the people of Israel have become. They've become a wicked and adulterous people, and Gomer is an illustration of that. And, and that is who Hosea is told to go again and to love but how did Gomer end up in this situation? And where exactly are we? It's, it's been some time since we've seen her. We don't want to say too much that Scripture doesn't say, but we can say that a lot of time has passed between chapter 1 and chapter 3. Chapter 1 describes Gomer in the prime of her life, and she's, she's going off to find uh, other men, and, being, and she's, she's unfaithful. But chapter 3 now, we find ourselves uh, at a much later stage in her life. And in verse 2, uh, we find ourselves at a slave auction of sorts. And how did we end up here? Well, it seems that Gomer's lifestyle has finally caught up to her. When she was young and full of youth, she, she was beautiful, and without a doubt, she could turn every head in the room. She got uh, as much attention as she wanted. Uh, business was good, so to speak. But now her, her age, her lifestyle is cut up to her. Uh, she's not as in uh, of high demand as she once was. And now uh, she's out of money. And much like the prodigal son in that story where he's, he's squandered all his money, he's reduced to eating the slop uh, of the pigs, uh, she also is, is at the end of her rope. And it looks like now she's had to sell herself in, into sla- uh, slavery. And so can you imagine this, this scene with me for just a moment? There's, here's Gomer with nowhere else to go, and she's unwanted, and now she's, she's put up for sale. It's a, a very stark and, and vivid uh, 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 picture here. 
put up for, for potential buyers to, to see and even to examine her and to check out all her flaws and, and uh, all of her, uh, uh, all her uh, imperfections on display for everyone to see. And the, the question is, who would want old Gomer? You see, this is, the, this is the context that we see one of the most vivid pictures of the gospel. Gomer's standing right over there. She's, she's broken. Uh, she's old. She's ugly. She's worthless in the eyes of the world. The slave auctioner is asking the crowd, who would want Gomer? Any takers? And the crowd's standing there. They're sneering. They're chuckling to each other. They're, they're waiting for the next item to come up to bid. Who would want Gomer? But then, one single hand raises up in the crowd, and it's Hosea, and he says, I want her. And I'm going to pay the price for her. And I'm going to take her home. Hosea pays the price for his own wife to redeem her and to bring her back home. You see, this is the picture of the Gospel. This is the Gospel right here that no matter what our brokenness is or what our sin is or, or whatever it is that's making us feel uh, worthless or ugly or whatever's in our past, whatever it might be, no matter how unlovable we might think we are, Jesus loves us even more. And that's why Scripture can say, for, for our sake He became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Or as, as Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, that He paid the price. He has bought us. He's purchased us. That's the language there. And what was the, what was the price that Christ paid to purchase us? Was it 15 shekels? Was it a, a bushel of, of barley wheat? No, it was his, his own precious blood. And the incredible thing the price that Jesus paid with His own blood, He paid that gladly. He was Hosea at that slave auction, gladly giving Himself over to pay the price for our redemption. It's as if God declared and said that my people are slaves to their sin and I'm going to go and redeem them from their sin. He purchased our freedom. And, and Hosea, uh, he brought Gomer home. He said, you're living with me now. Your old ways are behind you. I've purchased you. Uh, you belong to me. And your new life now begins. This is what Christ has done for you and for me, for all of us. If we've, if we've given our lives to Christ and put our faith in Him, repented of our sins, turned from them and turned to Christ, His blood uh, covers all unrighteousness. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. But notice, we're, we're slaves to Christ. He's purchased us. He's bought us. He, he uh, is our Master and He's our Lord, but our, our Master is gentle and lowly of heart. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And so that's what we see in these first three verses. What an amazing uh, depiction of, of God's love that we see here. We see this portrait of this King of Jesus Christ, who He accomplishes salvation for us. He, he redeems us. And He's brought us home. We are, we're safe and we are, we're whole again. But that's not all. That's not the only thing that uh, this passage shows us. And that's not the whole theme. We also see that He uh, will also restore. And so the story, if we look back now, Verses 1-3, through three, that's, that's the whole story of Hosea and Gomer right there. That's the end of their story. And if you look to, at verse 4, 
we see a new scene begins. The old scene it faded to black. We have a new scene now with new characters. And here we see that the children of Israel are being talked about now. And so what's going on? Why did the, why did the scene shift like this? Well, we're told, verse 4, that the children of Israel, they, they shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. We're, uh, what, what, why are all these uh, things here listed? What, what's going on here? Well, based on uh, the kings who are mentioned in the first verse of Hosea, uh, we know that Hosea's ministry so, uh, took place sometime around the 750s uh, uh, B.C., somewhere around there. And Israel, the, the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, would be exiled in 722. So Hosea is prophesying about this future event that's going to be coming within the next generation or so. And he's, he's warning them about it, and he's describing it to them. Here's what's going to happen. And he tells them, Israel and the children of Israel, here's what's happening. You are going to dwell for many days in a land that's not your own, and you will be deprived of everything, good and bad. And you see, that's what these, these, uh, these six things that are listed here, uh, they can seem somewhat random, but let's just go through them very briefly. Good things and bad things. They were going to be without a king. That's a very good thing. Not all the kings in the nation of Israel were good. Actually, none of them were. Some of the kings in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah were good and followed uh, David, their father. But they're going to be without a king. But they'll also be without princes, uh, uh, prince or, or princes. That word refers to rulers from other nations. Those are the people that they were going to. Instead of trusting in their Lord, they were going to the other rulers from the other nations, from Egypt and Assyria and, and uh, everywhere. And so they're going to be without both. Uh, they're going to be without uh, princes and rulers and without a king. They're going to be in exile. Uh, it also says that they'll be without sacrifice, which is a good thing. They'll be without the sacrificial system. They won't be able to, to do those things which God has commanded them. But they'll also uh, be without uh, a pillar, which is uh, uh, kind of a shorthand way of describing the, the uh, other nation's uh, rituals and, and religious systems. So those are the things that they were doing that were idolatrous. So they're going to be without those two. They'll be without, uh, without both sacrifice or pillar. And then it says they'll be without an ephod, which was the priestly clothing that the priests of Israel wore, so they're not going to have access to that priestly system. But it also says they'll be without household gods. Those are the carved images, the man-made figures that they had that they were worshiping as well. So they're going to be without all of this stuff. That's not the main point of, of what they're saying here. What he's saying here is that you're going to be without everything. You're going to be in exile for a season and for a time, for a specific period, it says. But then we get to verse 5. And here's the turn. Here's the change. This is what we want to focus in on. We get to verse 5 and it says afterward. Well, after what? After this period of time in exile where you're deprived of all these things. Then afterward, what do we see? It says the children of Israel... God's people, they shall return. We heard that in chapter 14, read for the confession. They shall return. And what are they going to return to? They're going to seek the Lord their God and David their king. There is a day coming when God's people will return to him. And they will seek the Lord. And who does it say they'll seek? It says they'll seek David their king. Now here's where the main theme starts to kick in. This is what's so cool. The music's been building slowly and slowly. 
You've had the low notes building up now, and we're getting ready to, to blast the, the music out. We're ready for the climax moment because we read, and, and the original audience would have read the exact same thing too. We read this and we ask ourselves, well, how can this be? How can they seek after King David? He's been dead for a long time. And so if you're following along with the story, if you know where it's headed, you know where we're going, that this is a promise, that this is a declaration, that there's a new king that's coming, a king like David, in fact, a a son of David, who is a, a new and better David, not just any king, but he's going to be the Messiah king. He's going to be the one who's actually able to pay the redemption price. This is the one who is coming, and this is the one that they're going to seek. They're going to seek the Lord, and they're going to seek David, their king. And the way that that talks about it, they're joining those two together. Those are one and the same people. That's why Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, he he asked the people, how can David say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? That's because King David is the Lord, the new coming New and better, David. They're one and the same. And it says they're going to seek the Lord and they're going to seek David, their king. And and it says that they're going to come in fear to the Lord. I love that little detail. Uh, It's maybe a a topic for another day. What does it mean to, to truly fear the Lord? What does that mean? Well, we get a little picture of what that means here. We come in fear to the Lord, but what do we find when we come uh, to the Lord with, with a righteous and a holy fear? Do we come and do we, do we find a, a vengeful God? Or do we come and we find like a bitter taskmaster or somebody that truly we should be afraid of or, or scared of? No, that's, that's not what fear of the Lord means. But what do we come to? We come and we see a Lord and His goodness. That's what Hosea says, that the Lord is good. We see perfect goodness. We see perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. That's something to be uh, to be fearful of, to, to, uh, to be awe-inspiring in that sense of the word, uh, the old sense of the word awful, meaning awe-inspiring, meaning so, so, uh, so wonderful and majestic. That's who God is. That's what it means to come uh, in fear uh, to Him. And that's what we'll see. We'll approach Him, we'll come in fear, and we'll see His goodness, and we end with this uh, final phrase, which says, in the latter days. All of this is going to happen in the latter days. And so that's the, that's the great theme of Hosea. He introduces it to us. Uh, and that's the theme of the Minor Prophets that we'll be looking at and building upon throughout uh, the rest of, of this series as we look at some more of these, of these prophets. This is, this is the first portrait we have here of this Messiah King who is coming. And, and that's why I love uh, the, these 12 prophets. I love the 12. I'm excited to go through the series because they are telling this one unified story that leads and points us to Jesus who is the King to come, who is the Redeemer, who is the one who will restore. And so that's, that's the main thing we see. He tells us this restoration through a new David will happen in the latter days. Leaves us hanging like every good story does. And it ends somewhat, ba- somewhat vague. When will this be? Well, uh, we'll turn next week. We'll look at the prophet of Joel. And he's actually going to pick up that very question. And he's going to define for us what the latter days means and what that looks like. 
And he's going to say that this, this time period is going to be the great day of the Lord. And we'll, we'll save that for, for next week, but, uh, but just, just for today as we wrap up and we can consider uh, what this great day will be when it comes, uh, what that day will look like when, when it comes, when it arrives. It'll be the day when God will restore His people, when all this will be accomplished. And in one sense, we are waiting for that day. We are waiting uh, for Christ to return. We are waiting for Him to make all things new. Uh, We do struggle with sin in this life, and we do struggle with pain and with loss. That's not the way things ought to be. And so we are waiting for that day. But there's another sense in which we are currently living in that day now, because Jesus has come. He has died, he, he, had, uh, he lived, he died, and he has ro- uh, risen again from the dead. And he is, he is the resurrection. And so we talk about the resurrection in the present tense because he's the first fruits of the resurrection. And if we have the first fruits, then we know that the harvest is close at hand. And so we are not waiting for salvation, but today is the day of salvation. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And so as we conclude this morning, that question is put before us. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? In these five short verses, we see the story of uh, redemption, the entire story of Scripture in a, a micro scale. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of God's love uh, that redeems and restores. And so if you have not accepted Jesus yet as your personal Savior, if you have not repented, turn from your sins, Look to Him, the only one who's able to save us from all of our sins and redeem us and restore us, then today is the day of salvation. There's no sin so great that He cannot forgive and uh, there's nothing, uh, nowhere so far that you can turn that He's not there and not able to find and restore you and bring you home. And so let's uh, invite you to, to come to Him, to seek Him, to, to search for yourself, to see if He's not all that He Uh, says he is, if he's not all that he claims to be. So come to him, and let's pray.